At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. This is the New York City Cast with Will Hill, presented by Bet Rivers. What's up, New York City Cast? Bet Rivers Sportsbook. A good show for you today. Mike Sando of The Athletic, uh, very tied into the NFL. He's going to be on with us to talk all things NFL, all things you want to know for the offseason. Where are these quarterbacks going to go? Where's Rodgers going to go? Uh, is Brady going to stay retired? Uh, we get into some Hall of Fame stuff with Stafford, which is kind of the topic of the week here. So uh, Sando is going to be on and discuss all those things. I'm really looking forward to that. We'll start here with the basketball just for a couple minutes. Uh, Knicks and the Nets play tonight. Knicks minus four and a half, total 217. Uh, both teams have just played terribly. The Knicks really uh, a new low point last, uh, you know, the last game, really the last two games. That's about as bad a back-to-back loss as you could possibly have. Uh, a Portland team, you know, that traded McCollum, you know, no Lillard, obviously, all the way down in the standings to have a big lead against Portland, and you know, basically at Portland have like a 52-19 run to blow you out of the building. Uh, you lose that game that was on Saturday, then Monday, home against the Thunder, who are tanking. They don't even want to win. They're not even trying to win. The Knicks are a 10-point favorite, and they lose at home to the Thunder. Uh, now the Knicks are a four and a half point favorite against the Nets. To me, the Knicks should not be four and a half point favorites against anybody. Uh, I like the Nets. Nets at least do get Curry. They get Drummond. They get some warm bodies who, uh, you know, they desperately need. They have also played terribly. Uh, but look, Durant's probably right around the corner. Simmons probably right around the corner. Uh, again, you don't have Kyrie because this game is in New York. You're not gonna have a. Uh, you're not gonna have Kyrie for a lot of these games because they have a lot of home games, and they have a lot of games. You know, New York, Toronto, he's not going to be able to play. So uh, it's going to be tough for the Nets. Nets kind of stemmed the bleeding the other night. They beat the Kings at home, which, you know, you're supposed to beat the Kings at home, so you can't really call it a good win. But, look, when you've lost, what, 10, 11 in a row, you just need a couple wins here or there to stop the bleeding, keep yourself in the plane. And, you know, there's kind of – the plane kind of gets lumped in all together, the 7, 8, 9, 10, like it's all the same. There's a huge difference between being the 7, 8 and the 9, 10. 9-10, you, you play two games and you got to win both of them. If you're the 7-8, it's the opposite. You got two chances to win one game. So as long as the Nets stay in the 7-8 and they only have to win one game and they get two chances to do it, the Nets are going to be fine. Uh, look, fine in terms of, you know, they'll be in the playoffs. As long as they're healthy, they can beat anybody. I don't know that this team's winning a championship. I'd kind of be surprised at this point if they are, especially if you're only going to get Kyrie for half the games. But uh, Knicks-Nets tonight, Knicks have played terribly. Uh, Tibbs is really kind of worn out his welcome after 
a, a great first year, just a miraculous job to get the four seed. Now it's really it's come back to the pack. It, it's really, uh, you know, it's like a hitter who, who's a 270 hitter who one year hits 340, or I compared it to Brady Anderson who never hit more than 18 home runs. He was a leadoff hitter for the Orioles 20-something years ago. One year he hit 50 just out of nowhere, and then he never hit 18 ever again. That's kind of the year the Knicks had last year. They're not very good. But I think it's probably better for them to just you know lose these games, get lottery balls. Maybe you get some some luck in the lottery. You get move up to the top three, top five, and you get lucky and you find you know a guy you can build your your franchise around because the Knicks don't have that right now. Barrett is a good player, not a great player. Uh, he's out tonight, by the way. Knicks just kind of a weird mix. They got some decent young players, bunch of veterans. Tibbs, you know what he does? He's going to play the veteran. So uh, not a good situation for the Knicks. I, usually, I would say the Knicks have a big home court advantage tonight. They're in the Garden. Fans will be fired up. They hate the Nets. Uh, Knicks fans are kind of apathetic at this point. They're really down on this team. They're down on this coach. So I don't know what kind of environment uh, you're going to get here in this game. So I like the Nets plus the four and a half. To me, the Knicks should not be laying you know four four and a half points to anybody, anybody right now. That's how bad the Knicks are. So uh, that's the basketball situation. Uh, Let's talk some football. Let's find out where these free agents are going. Where's Rodgers going to go? Is Brady going to stay retired? Mike Sando has some interesting thoughts really on all those things, some things that may surprise you. So stay tuned. Let's talk with Mike Sando on some NFL. All right. I wanted to talk a little NFL offseason, and to do that, there is nobody better. He is the host of the Football GM Podcast. He writes for The Athletic. He is Mike Sando. Mike, what's going on, man? Thanks for coming on. Yeah, not too much. Had a day or two to decompress after the Super Bowl trip, which is always a privilege to get to go to. Uh, it was fun being around people again, uh, including a lot of people in the business. So uh, I'm ready to go. What do you got? All right. Well, football season ended Sunday, but I, I think it starts again, I don't know, today, pretty soon, because the news cycle, uh, it, it's pretty exciting. I, I think let's start because I think um, I don't know if people are familiar with your your work or not, but I think you do something that's really kind of fascinating, really brilliant. You always hear people talk about this guy's a top five quarterback, this guy's a top ten quarterback. Uh, the way you do it, I, I think, is great. You break these guys down into tiers. You survey the GMs. Can you just tell the audience a little bit yeah. about what you do in, in terms of that? Yep. Every summer for the last seven, eight, I think it's eight years, 2014 was probably the first year. Uh, I'll talk to 50 people in the league, which will have a – cross-section of general managers, head coaches, offensive coordinators, defensive coordinators, some quarterback coaches, people from analytics departments, a couple salary cap guys, things like that. And we'll go through all of the veteran quarterbacks who might be starting that year. There's usually about 35. Some teams might have two. I exclude the rookies from it because not every team scouted them or looked at them if you're not going to be uh, in the market for one. And basically, we put them into – one of the following tiers every quarterback tier one is the best need the least amount of help to win from your team around you and the strict definition is you can carry your team every week the team wins because of you and you can expertly handle those pure pass situations when we strip back play action and all of the things that make it easy when you got to go and just throw the ball and they know where you're going to be can you handle that not very many guys can do that tier two is Really, you can carry your team some of the time. You can handle some of that pure pass stuff in doses. Uh, you might possess another dimension or two to your game that elevates you above the third tier. That could be a, a rushing component or, or something along those lines. Typically, it's a, a rushing quarterback who really is dynamic that way. Uh, the third tier is, you know, you're a, you're a legitimate starter, but you're probably going to need a lot 
more help from your defense, from your run game. Uh, you may not want to be featured in a in a high volume drop back pass offense. You may want a lot of play action. You may want a lot of things to distract from the fact that you're standing back there throwing the ball. And then the fourth tier really is just uh, maybe a veteran uh, who you wouldn't want to go through the whole season with. Think like a Ryan Fitzpatrick. Uh, or it could be somebody who's only started part of the year and we, you know, for one year and we're really not sure. It could be a young developmental player too. And we just put them in tier four because we're not sure. So there is a tier five, like if you just absolutely were not a starter period, but almost nobody will get a tier five vote. Yeah, you might need to add a new tier after watching Jake Fromm and Mike Glennon here in New York. Yeah. Uh, you might need to. You might need a, a new tier. I don't know they how far down you'd go. They would get five. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's a very generous five. Um, where did where was Stafford coming into this year? Because the, the talk now all week, and I don't think it's crazy talk. Sometimes these these hot button issues sometimes get a little tedious. I actually think this is a fair debate. Um, yeah. Give me your take. You know where Stafford was. I, I think anytime you're debating Stafford, Eli, these guys for the Hall of Fame, you're not really debating the player because we know what Stafford is. We know what Eli is. You're debating what your view of the Hall of Fame is. So, yeah. uh, give me your thoughts here on Stafford, where you had him coming into the year. Yeah, absolutely. So Stafford was uh, in Tier Two. He's been in Tier Two every year uh, that I've done the survey. In Tier Two. To me, is kind of a pro bowler who you think you could win the championship with, you know, if you had enough right around him, uh, but isn't just in that Rodgers Brady, you know, tier one where you're just really driving the success of your team and overcoming a lot. So uh, he was seventh last year. Uh, that is as high as he's ever been. He was seventh coming into the 2018 season. If you, he's been between seventh and 14th every year in it. Uh, and so, to me, he's the classic Tier 2. That's a classic Tier 2 quarterback. And maybe he, in his best year, rotates up to the top of that, maybe with a good team. Like, I don't think there's any question. Like, if he had been on the 2016 Falcons like Matt Ryan, he, I think he could win an MVP. I mean, he was in that race this year for part of the year. So, um, but I think he needs more around him to consistently succeed. Where are you at with the Hall of Fame in terms of him? Uh, you know, I just, whether it's him, Eli, I, I understand people are going to make the rings argument, which I kind of roll my eyes at. Um, again, if you're going to put him in, just, I, I picked out two th 2016 this year. If you're going to, if you're one of these people that wants to put Stafford and Eli in, okay, I, I don't agree, but I don't think it's crazy. Just go through the quarterbacks. You're going to have Brady, Rodgers, Breeze, both Mannings, uh, Roethlisberger, Wilson, then you got the Stafford, Rivers, Ryan. Uh, I don't know if Dak yeah. wins the Super Bowl. You're going to have a situation here where you got 11 or 12. You got a third of the league or more in terms of the quarterbacks being in the Hall of Fame. To me, that's just not the idea of it. Yeah, I I, I'm, I agree with you on that. And uh, you know, I shoot here, Matt Stafford just won uh, the Super Bowl, and people are telling him he's not a Hall of Famer. You know, I mean, I, yeah, ideally I we'd let him enjoy the game, but. Uh, it's also kind of cool for him because he wasn't even considered in that realm a year or two ago, right? No one was even talking about it. So you get a championship and now you go into a different class. What I did just in preparing for our conversation was I took the last uh, 10 quarterbacks who made it in the Hall of Fame and the stipulation was you had to have played since the merger in 1970. So that really those guys are these quarterbacks. John Elway, Brett Favre, Peyton Manning, Steve Young, Ken Stabler, Kurt Warner, Jim Kelly, Troy Aikman, 
Dan Marino, and Warren Moon, okay? So if you feel like Stafford's in that class, then, you know, make your case. What I did then in identifying how these guys made it into the Hall of Fame, um, I kind of put together some categories, just basic things like number of Pro Bowls, number of MVPs, you know, Super Bowl starts, Super Bowl wins. Your, your career win percentage is just a reflection of the success you and your team had, which I think is part of it for a quarterback more than other players. I think the quarterback, sure. the head coach, when we're talking about Hall of Fame, we know quarterback wins aren't a, really a thing, but they kind of are a thing because if you're in the league long enough at that position, hopefully you're going to drive success, and most of those guys have. Uh, the The... In the Pro Bowl category, Matthew Stafford has won. Well, Warren Moon never won a championship. He was also about 500 as a starter. He was a nine-time Pro Bowler. So there's a little bit of a gap there, right, between one and nine, if you're just looking at how those guys got in. Now, Stafford has a Super Bowl ring, and Warren Moon doesn't. Uh, you go through some of the other guys. I mean, Dan Marino, I don't think anyone's comparing Stafford to Marino, right? Correct. I wouldn't say there's a comparison. Right. Um, Aikman, you could say, well, you know, he was on really good teams, but I think Aikman gets in because he won three Super Bowls. And he was a six-time Pro Bowler, by the way, so he's got five more Pro Bowls. So you might say he's on a little bit of a different level. Jim Kelly, five-time Pro Bowler, four Super Bowls. You would say that's a different level to me. Kurt Warner, a little bit of a shorter career, but a two-time league MVP, three-time Super Bowl starter. To me, that elevates you, and a, and a winning record at playing. Um, 158% of his starts. To me, that elevates him above. Uh, Ken Stabler, he was an MVP, uh, only one Super Bowl and won it. Four Pro Bowls, so he's a little more, but maybe that's, if you're going to try to push Stafford into a group, maybe you're you're saying he's close to him. Um, I think a lot of people who have been around the game a long time might disagree. But uh, Steve Young, seven Pro Bowls, two MVPs, I think different level. Peyton Manning, Favre, Elway, obviously to me a whole nother level of accomplishments. I mean, Elway's a five-time Super Bowl starter, two-time winner, MVP, nine-time Pro Bowl, right? So where are we going to slot him in? Where's the opening to get him into the Hall of Fame? I think he needs to play more, maybe win an MVP, uh, get back to a Super Bowl. I think those things would help overcome the fact that he just hasn't been a consistent top-five quarterback during his career. Yeah, and I'm look. I'm pro analytics. I'm pro all the numbers. But to me, with the Hall of Fame, it's re just really simple. It's kind of you know, I test. Hey, is this guy a great all-time great player? Is he an Hall of Famer? If you have to think about it, you have to go through numbers. To me, that's not the idea of the Hall of Fame. The all Hall of Fame, and again, we're, we're, you've kind of gotten away from it. It's for the best players of all time, and you can group Eli in here, Stafford. Never did you say, you know what, Stafford's the best quarterback in the league, or the second or third best quarterback in the league. I mean, these guys have never really competed for an MVP, and. Uh, Right. I just think it's tough. Yeah. I just think it's tough. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I think for some positions there does require research because people don't haven't followed closely to differentiate right. between Richard Seymour and Bryant Young. And yeah. right, I mean the you could you could be covering the league for twenty years and not really know how good Bryant Young was. That's possible. At the quarterback position, it's the one thing everybody watches. <laughs> it's the for one sure. thing you sort. It is the eye tester to, one to me. If we're starting to get into debates. And having to really parse it out, then you know maybe, maybe that's not a Hall of Famer. For sure, and I just think like, look at Jared Goff. If Jared Jared Goff was pretty damn close to winning a Super Bowl, I mean that was anybody's game in the fourth quarter a few years ago. 
He's put up good stats. I mean, I mentioned Dak. Romo, who, you know, is probably better than a lot of these guys. He's not going to get a sniff. I just, I don't like the idea. You know, Wentz, if Wentz doesn't get hurt and Philly wins the Super Bowl with him in 2017, is Wentz a Super Bowl candidate? I just, I yeah. think we're getting way too much here. And we're going to have a, a next generation here with Mahomes, with Lamar Jackson, Herbert Burrow. I mean, is this going to be a thing where every, yeah. you know, sort of generation we're putting 10, 12 guys in the Hall of Fame? I think the more interesting one to me, because I don't think Stafford would get close to getting in right now. I think it's an interesting conversation. It's fun to talk about, but I, I no disrespect to him. I think he's got to do more than that. Right. Uh, yeah. I think, I think Eli Manning and rivers are really interesting because I think Eli, I think rivers was a better player for most of his career and was a top three quarterback. Uh, but I also believe that Peyton or Eli Manning really played great in a couple of Super Bowl wins against iconic teams. And that counts for something. It does count for something. And they both, of course, played a long time. I just never really felt like Eli Manning was a top three or top five quarterback uh, throughout his career. Just wasn't in that group. But he had some great moments and played a long time. And he's got that name on his back that's Manning. And I think he's going to – I think he's got a chance. I still probably have to be, you know, one over on that. I'm not diametrically opposed. But uh, there are some interesting borderline-type cases that I think are worth talking about. Yeah, I – I wouldn't vote for Eli, but I do think he'll get in. I just think people yeah. are kind of simple, and they break it down. Hey, he won two Super Bowls. He beat the Patriots twice. They don't go back to look, and hey, they scored, what, 17 points in one of them, 20 in another. I mean, one of those Super Bowls they don't even get to. San Francisco fumbles two punts uh, in the NFC yeah. Championship game. I mean, it, a lot goes into it, but, um, yeah, it, it's interesting. I just think, you know, in general, too many guys get in. Uh, I wanted to ask you about the Rams, their philosophy. You had a great piece back in the fall about the Dolphins and how they built around all these picks. Yeah. And then you look at what the picks turn into, and it's it's not really a lot. And I kind of admire you know, the Rams, whether it's Brandon Staley. I admire anybody that kind of bucks conventional wisdom. They put a spotlight on themselves, whether it's going for it on fourth down, whether it's giving up all their picks. I kind of admire that because it, it really it does put a spotlight on you. It puts a pre it puts pressure on you. Do you think that other teams will look at the Rams and say, you know what, maybe we're we're too tight with these picks. Maybe we can move some of these picks yeah. for players. Do you think this is going to start any sort of uh, any start of a, a a trend here? Well, I think there is a greater awareness of trading away your late first round picks to get an established player, and I think that can work for both teams. Sometimes you have a player. Let, let's just say Jacksonville was obviously a mess. Uh, but even the Jets with Jamal Adams, right? We've seen some of these teams do that where you have a player, he's a good player on your team, it's not working for whatever reason. I think you can be opportunistic if you're one of the good teams and, and say, uh, let's acquire that player and give up what's going to be the 28th pick in the draft. That's a little bit of a crapshoot type, type pick, right? We're probably not going to get a quarterback. Uh, let's just make our team better. Because if you look at the hit rate of players taking the bottom or the last 10 picks of the uh, of the first round, it's really not great. And you'll, you'll often hear, oh, we only had 16 players for the first round grade. That's a lot of teams every year. You, there's 32 picks in the first round, no matter how many players you think are worth taking that early. So uh, I do think it's happened some already. Like I mentioned Seattle, and we'll see. They're, they're on the wrong end of the Jamal Adams trade, but they just – change their entire defensive staff to hire guys who they think is going to are going to feature him better so we'll see um i do think that you won't replicate exactly what the rams have done because it's really a unusual situation that a matt stafford is becomes available like that that he asks out of his contract and the team goes okay I mean, that just doesn't happen, right? I mean, they, they had to be in a real weird place to, to go along with it. So I think that aspect of it is a little bit harder. Um, but 
we have no question seen a willingness to trade quarterbacks or move on from them for whatever reason. And uh, I think there's a little bit of a shift towards, um, you know, players being more willing to force their way out of a place. I think that that can happen with a Jalen Ramsey, that type of a thing, even an Odell Beckham, right? We're, we're seeing players be able to uh, do that. And I think they've always been able to do that, but um, at the quarterback position, it can be a little bit harder. Uh, so we're not going to have a bunch of teams doing exactly what they did, but I think we are seeing more of that trade the late first round pick. Yeah. I just think fans, GMs, I just think they covet these picks so much and, you know, too much. So, uh, there's a, there's a great family guy episode where I, I forget the scenario, but Peter has his choice of two prizes and <laughs> option one is a brand new boat. And option two is a mystery box. And he goes, well, a boat's a boat, but, op- uh, but a mystery box could be anything who knows even a boat. Yes. And there's a little bit of that with, with these, you know, fans like to say, oh man, we could get this guy with this pick, this yeah. guy with that pack where you go back and look at these picks and you, and you did a great job, you know, um, with the Dolphins and who they got. It's like, you know, yeah. this pick looks great on paper. Then you make the pick and it's Austin Jackson and you're dying to get the guy off the team in, in a year or two. I, I do feel that way. And I know there's salary issues that come in too, but um, I I think it's unlikely that you're going to pick a player as good as the one you, you're getting rid of when they're a real good starter. And now, like we said, the Jamal Adams one, he hasn't looked as good or they haven't used him as well and he's been injured. So, I mean, maybe it will, maybe that will work out for, well, for the Jets, I just think it's hard to – the odds of you drafting an elite player are low. No doubt. And even, you know, the Dolphins get rid of Tannehill, and they're, you know, we're going to get two, he's going to be this or that. And it's like, yeah. hey, you'd probably – Tannehill would be a, an upgrade. Not that Tannehill's great. I'm, I'm curious what tier he was in, but uh, he's kind of one of those middle-rung guys. But, again, Tannehill's an upgrade from what you had. So sometimes, you know, it, it's the lottery ticket versus, you know, just having the $50 bill in your pocket is more, more valuable than $50 worth of lottery tickets. Yep. Sometimes you do want that upside or it runs its course in a certain place. Tannehill here has been uh, tier three every year, except for going into last year, he moved up to tier two. He was 13. Yep. He was ranked 13th. So that's better than anyone the Dolphins have had since then. I mean, but, uh, you know, at the time, at the time, it wasn't like people were going, oh, I can't believe they're getting rid right. of Tannehill. A lot of people wanted to see what was in the mystery box. No uh, but in retrospect, you would have been better off with Tannehill. <laughs> no doubt. Uh, how about just quickly here, the Bengals just going from first to uh, from worst yeah. to first. You know, they're picking number one in the draft and they're in the Super Bowl. Is there a lesson in there? Will teams say, you know what, maybe we're closer than we think? Will teams look at it and, you know, opt to tank more and say, you know what, if we get that first <sighs> overall pick, uh, we're not that far away from being in the Super Bowl. What can you take away from the Bengals run? I know there was some luck involved. What, yeah. what, do, you, what do you think we can take away from yeah, that? Yeah, I think that's hard. I mean, I think the, I don't think you can time it up and pick first and have Joe Burrow be the quarterback who's available. That's. You might yeah. get, be able to get a quarterback, but I think he's a rare one. And I think yeah. he was a unanimous number one pick in everyone's minds. I mean, people thought he was going to be really good. So you, that's hard to engineer. I think the lesson really, and we can take this with two, with both Super Bowl teams, is there's different ways to get premium players, but you need premium players. And I think for the Bengals, they were able to get two top five picks who were really special people and players in Jamar, Chase, and Joe Burrow that are franchise altering players. Uh, it doesn't guarantee that you're going to get them there, but but those are the picks you probably don't trade away, right? You're really getting elite premium guys who are going to be on good team friendly contracts for a long time. Uh, awesome job. The Rams weren't going to do that, so they went a different route. They gave up two later first round picks to get Jalen Ramsey, who is their Jamar Chase in their mind, right? Uh, but you have to have the elite players, however you're going to get them. Uh, 
And I think just the 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 quarterback is such a big part of it and your team's belief in that player and what you can do with him is critical. I don't think the Rams, there's any way the Rams would be in the Super Bowl if they didn't trade for Stafford. I think that whole thing with Goff had run its course. They couldn't have played the way they played this year with Goff. I think there was definitely a lot more dropback pass and things on on Stafford's plate. Um, so that position, and same thing with Burrow. Your team has to really believe in that position and who you have there, and your coaches do, uh, to get to where they got. Yeah, no doubt. And, um, you know, it's funny. The Rams, if they call or they don't call that holding on Cup and the Rams don't score, the, the story after the game isn't a Stafford a Hall of Famer. It's, boy, the Rams went with the last, what, seven, eight drives where they only got three points. So it's amazing how one play just oh, kind of turns it. They won the game with defense. Yeah. They they no won throughout the playoffs on defense. I mean, I think that, you know, that's but, – but they wouldn't have gotten to where they were without offense. Right. I mean, I think right. the offense was better than the defense for a lot of the season. But in the playoffs, I think their defense was the differentiating factor uh, for them. And that's team football, right? And we've seen that other times. I mean, if you go back to when Peyton Manning won the Super Bowl and they beat Chicago in the Super Bowl, I believe in those playoffs, Peyton had three touchdowns, seven interceptions. The Colts had a terrible defense that year, but they got Bob Sanders back. Bob Sanders, yeah. They played great defense in the yeah. playoffs. And we just, you know, time goes by. We know Peyton's great. And, and hey, Peyton won the Super Bowl, but he doesn't win the Super Bowl without that defense. You know, it is a team. The team component of this thing can't be forgotten. The team component and the luck component. Yeah. I mean, think about it, the Rams. You get a 10-win team in the Super Bowl and a 10-win team in the title game, and you get both those games at home as a four seed. I mean, think about that. You're a four seed. All right, you know, you get one home game, and then you're on the road the rest of the way. The Rams really got lucky. They're a four seed. They get the Super Bowl at home, the NFC title game at home, and they're playing two 10-win teams. I mean, usually the Super Bowl is 12, 13, 14-win team. You got two 10-win teams uh, the final two games. Completely. This was two four seeds. So, you know, can, can somebody duplicate this? There's so many things that have to have to go right. You can't reverse engineer a season or or how a team did it. And every team inherits different players and all of that, too. You're, you're, you can't build every team the same way. So they did it the way they did it, and they get to say it worked because it did. That's the fun of it. That's the fun of it. Let's get into some of these quarterbacks. Before we do that, uh, just a couple quick coaching things. Does McVay coach next year? Um. I would still lean towards probably yes that you get away, uh, but I think there's where there's smoke, there's fire. I think the you know we've been hearing for a couple of years even behind the scenes that he had his eye on the TV booth. So I do think there's a chance that he peels out of there. And in that case, I think they should just go with uh, Raheem Morris. I think he would he would be a great choice for them. I'd love to see him with that team. Uh, but I think ultimately it is hard to walk away. Now he, I think he only has one year left on his contract. So. Uh, there could be some stuff going on right there too, right? Hey, let's get make this contract be what we need to stay. Uh, but we'll see. I think there is a chance that he that he heads out of there. Yeah, I mean that's one of the great things about Belichick that people don't discuss. I mean, most of these guys need to recharge the battery. You saw uh, Parcells walk away three or four different times, yeah. say I'm done, I'm not coaching anymore. Then he comes back. You know, yes. these guys, they, they need to kind of recharge the batteries once in a while. It's it's high intensity. It's high pressure. You know, you could see him kind of shaking before the game. I don't know. You were at the game, so I don't know if you saw, but uh, on TV, they showed McVay, and he's kind of like shaking before the game. There's a lot of stress. There's a lot of work. So uh, what Belichick does, staying there for, you know, 20-plus years is, is kind of a rare thing. Yeah, and I think sometimes you 
you ask people, you know, when, when you're talking to the person, I mean, they're just, you know, they've put so much into this and they're, he probably feels like taking a month off or never coaching again. Right. right. I mean, this the stress of this whole thing. He probably needs to go to a, Mexico or wherever he hangs out, you know, like last year he went to Mexico, he found Stafford, right? Right. So just get away. Maybe, so maybe, you know, you'll, you'll be able to think through and talk through. He's also going to be uh, getting married, I believe. Right. So he's got all kinds of thoughts in his mind and maybe he's worried about the team next year and it could be hard. Andrew Whitworth could retire. You're just not, teams aren't as hungry. Right. I mean, maybe he, maybe he thinks there's a year, a little bit of a retool year for whatever reason. Uh, and that just doesn't sound that appealing to him because if he goes to TV, uh, which I think he probably will at some point, he can name his price coming back. He's only 36. Yeah. If I were his agent, I would, I would, I don't know if I'd advise it, but it, it could be great for him. It really could be great for him. Yeah, I'm sure people listen saying if he's going to get married, that's more of a reason to coach than not coach. But uh, <laughs> that's a that's a different one. Um, yeah. This is a, a complicated issue. I'm just going to ask it in a very direct way. Why did Brian Flores get fired? Well, I think it's because of personal relationships that enough people that were there uh, in positions of power didn't want to work with them anymore. Clearly, it wasn't because he's a bad football coach. Uh, you could pick apart certain things. I mean, I think the offense hasn't been what they hoped. And I think it's also, you know, I, if I were the owner, I would want explanations for how there's so much turnover with the staff. I mean, you have Chan Gailey come in and then who just leaves the game after one year with a couple of years left on your deal. Patrick Graham, shoot, he left to go work for Joe Judge. I would want to have the answers for that. It will, were there some sort of issues there? Uh, difficult to work with all of that type of thing. I think those are fair questions to ask, but uh, clearly it had to be a personal issue between the coach, the GM, uh, who else? Uh, you see they changed their ownership structure, right? Or they changed their leadership structure. I believe they have, uh, is it uh, Tom Garfinkel in the, in there is now formally, so. formally in there. So there's a lot of different people in there. And, you know, how the coach fits in with those people, who in your building feels threatened by a person, whose power feels threatened, who has the owner's ear, those are all things that aren't in the media guide, but they're all things that really affect decisions like this one. And the owner said, the owner is sort of the one person who can usually speak freely, more freely. Uh, and he said something about, we, we weren't collaborating well enough, something like that. And he put that obviously on uh, the coach. Fair or not, he could be wrong, but there had to be some sort of personal disagreement or element to not getting along uh, no matter who was to blame I'm not saying Flores would be to blame for it but it, it had to exist because otherwise they would have you know come back for another year I didn't I didn't think there was any reason to fire him off of the performance of the team especially down the stretch yeah I mean these owners they're egotistical they're billionaires they don't like you know being they don't like their feathers being ruffled and, and Flores it, I think is one of the five or ten best coaches in the league I think he's a really good coach but he, you get the sense, you know, he's a feather ruffler. He, uh, there's reports he told, yeah. too, if I knew you are going to suck so bad, I would have drafted Mac Jones, that kind of thing, where he can be tough. You know, he could be gruff, I think is probably the best word for it. Could, could be, yeah, strong. Look at look at the hiring around the league. A lot of times people who are doing the hiring uh, hire people to protect their own little turf, and you fit in these hires around the people that are already there. They're not even looking for a certain type of coach. I think that's one of the reasons a lot of young coaches get hired. They're easier to tell them what to do. If you hire veteran coaches, 
um, they will tell you where to go and they know more than you. That's a good point. How do you think this, this lawsuit ultimately plays out? Well, I think it's already uh, played out to some degree uh, because it completely, uh, I think it was very damaging for the league. I think the, the average person watching uh, thinks the league totally uh, screwed up in this. So that's been effective from that standpoint. Um, I would think at some point there would be a settlement that, and also it would include the league changing rules or doing something that Flores thinks is appropriate to change the way these jobs get hired and and so forth. Yeah, I actually maybe I'm in the minority. I actually think he's going to get another job. I think he's a hell of a coach. Oh yeah, and I think that it'd be a good PR you know move to hire him. Uh, in addition to the fact that he's a good coach, and it would be bad PR if he just never coaches again. That'll only add to the damage. So I actually do think he's going to get another job. I don't know if it'll be this year, yeah. but I do think he'll get, he'll be a head coach again. Yeah, I don't think he will while he's suing the league. Uh, but I, I agree. I I don't think that he's. Uh, I don't see a, a like a full Kaepernick black ball comparison because I do think he's in the prime of his coaching, uh, and I think he's going to be for a while. I I do though think that he's not going to be for everybody because of because I do think he's strong, and some of these uh, like I said some of these teams are hiring pliable people or people that don't come in with skins on the wall or you know what I mean just having having a strong idea of how they want to do things. I think that it's a smaller group of teams possibly for him. Um, but I, I just can't imagine him not, if he wants to coach, I think there's going to be a job for him. Yeah. I'm with you. All right. Usually NFL free agency, you know, it's a, it's a receiver who's 28, kind of a little past his prime, a couple pass rushers. You get some decent players. You, you could find good players, obviously, but I mean, the potential quarterbacks on the move this offseason, I, I think, are fascinating. Let's just kind of run through them here. Rodgers. Uh, you know, Chris Rock has, has a great joke. Men are only as loyal as their options. I think Rodgers is kind of starting to look around the league and say, you know what? Uh, the NFC's not so tough. Uh, the AFC West, do I really want to go there? I get the sense Rodgers and the Packers are going to find their way back to each other. Uh, where are you at with Rodgers? I do agree. You know, I think that he had... I think there was an emotional component last year that doesn't exist to the same degree or at all. I think last year, all those things that you're talking about, the logical looking around and where are there better situations? I think last year he was mad enough that that didn't matter, right? If you're really mad, you don't necessarily make logical decisions. So unless he was so mad last year that he decided and got the Packers to agree that he would be traded this offseason, which is possible, but it would just be total projecting then it seems to me he is operating more from a position of logic. And if that's the case, then he's in the best place he can be for his legacy, for his chances to win uh, number one seed twice in a row. Uh, there's no guarantees you're going to get all the way. The special teams fell apart. So God, they hired the best loss. special teams oh. coach. But they hired one of the five. Or Yeah, they did. You know, they, the, they, they hired somebody who Rodgers – if he's not one, if he's not a top three special teams coach in the league, Rodgers will think he is just because we just watched this last season. He was a good head coach, uh, and we has a good reputation. So, I don't know what more. I think he Rodgers will want to watch and see is the team going to be taken apart, dismantled, all of that before he makes a decision. But I don't see why he would leave as much now. 
boy, that was such a bad loss. I mean, some of these teams got to be just kicking themselves, especially watching the Super Bowl, which we were talking about before you came on. Just it was an exciting game. It wasn't overly well played, but what, you know, the Packers to lose that game, uh, the Chiefs the way that like that game got away, the Bills. Some of these teams had to watch the Super Bowl. You know, even Brady to some extent say, "Oh my goodness, I can't believe we let our game get away." Uh, you know, the Packers have to just be kicking themselves. That was just a brutal, brutal loss that Saturday night in Lambeau. Yeah, it really was. It really was. But I, I think that uh, there wasn't something in there lingering from a Rodgers standpoint like there was the year before with the play call and all of that, right? So uh, it was a, clearly a special teams meltdown. And if he thinks it's been addressed well, you know, move on. Yeah, and part of it was on him, too. He didn't play great. I mean, they had, no. they had the ball plenty of times where just a field goal, anything kind of puts the game away, and, and still you get the pump block for a touchdown. Okay, I mean, you're the best player in the league. You're the MVP. You got the ball four minutes ago. You just get a few yeah. first downs, kick the field goal, you move on. But uh, yep. just a, a brutal loss. Um, Watson, this is another complicated one. Uh, first of all, are we sure he's going to be in the league next year? And, you know, who would you favor in terms of where he goes? I saw today he preferred. Now, he's kind of all over the place. He, he wanted to go to the Dolphins. I think that's probably scrapped now with Flores being out. Uh, I think it was Minnesota and one other team. I'm trying to remember who he, he preferred. But uh, where, where are you at with Watson? Well, I think there has to be a settlement and then a little bit of a follow-up after that to see what the perception is around him. Uh, I don't think he's going to be for everybody. I think you can't. Not everybody is going to sit up there as a GM next to him and and look the city in the eye and say, this is the direction we're going. I think it's a lot easier to do in fantasy football. Hey, he'd fit here. We'd do this than it is in reality, especially if there's still lingering concerns or feelings that he's done, acted terribly, and that that's part of who he is. Uh, it's too early right now uh, for something to happen, I think. I thought by now there would have already been a settlement of some kind. Uh, and that he would have done whatever it took to do that, and he'd be back playing. That hasn't happened. So until it does, I think it's just premature. I think there has to be that. We have to see what that looks like. Yeah, I mean, we're a, we're a betting network. We're a betting show. So, you know, if you're going to find a long shot now, a, a big part of that is to find a sleeper, find a team, you know, hey, I think he could go to Carolina, or I think he'd mm -hmm. go to the Browns. If you, could, if you had to just throw out a team, maybe one that's off the radar, just a guess in terms of where Watson plays next year, would you would you be able to throw out just a guess? Well, I mean, I think, I mean, Carolina, we know, already seem to have an interest. So yeah. that, that, you know, that, and there's des it's desperation time there a little bit. Uh, and it doesn't look like they're going to be drafting, you know, real early. So to me, that's, uh, that, that's an obvious one. Uh, I don't. Like I said, though, I think we need to see what the settlement type thing looks like because if he's in some way exonerated, which I think would be hard when you have that many people, there's always going to be something lingering. Uh, but if he were somehow exonerated, then I think more teams come into play. Yeah, no doubt. And I think the NFC, especially in the NFC South, I mean, you look around, if Brady's really going to retire, and I, I guess we can get to that in a minute, if Brady's really going to retire, that NFC South, I mean, that's one of those divisions you could probably talk yourself into, you know, if we go 9-8, and eight, we could win this division. The Saints are in a rebuild. Uh, the Bucks. I mean, that's going to be a mass exodus, it looks like. They're they're in, you know, tough shape with the salary cap. Um, you know, Atlanta's not, you know, going to be any sort of threat. So if you're Carolina, you got a good defense, you got to keep McCaffrey healthy, but... Uh, a lot of these teams in the NFC can talk themselves into, hey, we just get a quarterback, you know, we can be in the mix. That uh, that leads me to Wilson. It feels like Wilson and Pete Carroll, that thing has kind of run its course. One of them's got to go. It just feels like it's just not a marriage that, you know, like I said, it, ju it just kind of run its course. Where are you at with, with the whole Seahawks, Russell Wilson, Pete Carroll yeah. situation? Well, Pete Carroll's not going anywhere. I mean, he, no. he's got a long-term contract and just hired a bunch of new staff. So I don't, I don't, I think the odds are towards something not changing this year. Uh 
I also think it hurt Russell Wilson and his value that he didn't play great this last year. And really hasn't played hasn't played consistently great for the last year and a half. Second half of last year was tough too. So uh, he's been a little more uh, quiet. We haven't been hearing as much stuff being stirred up. So maybe he's got some big plan. But I think he lost a little bit. I think he's lost a little bit of equity you know, with the public uh, in terms of the idea that you know, God, the Seahawks are holding him back, right? Uh, they need to do this or that. I think. Uh, there's a little bit more of a realization that maybe he was at his best when they were playing the way Pete Carroll wants to play, or if not all the way, then, you know, with some of that component in it. Uh, it may have run some of its course. I just think that it could be more next off season. Uh, why is Murray unhappy with the Cardinals? This kind of came out of nowhere. He's another one. You know, he, he, didn't, he, didn't kinda, he didn't play great the second half of the year. You're hurt a lot. You're little. Uh, I mean, I don't know that you're good enough to be throwing a, a hissy fit like he is. I mean, maybe he's not. Maybe this is all just perception. Where's the tension between Murray and the Cardinals coming from? That was very interesting that he he sort of got this conversation going, right, with the social media. There, there wasn't really anything that had come out right before that. He was. I don't think he was doing anything in response, uh, which is a little odd to me to bring up a subject. Now, some of the things that have been said about him uh, have been said about him before, Privately, we, we've heard a lot of people criticize um, just kind of his general outlook or makeup. Or uh, remember last year that I think it was uh, the analyst Brock Heward had said he was, you know, hearing that uh, he, you know, was a real great competitor on Sundays, but questioning what he put in the rest of the week, right? And so uh, some of that can just be a young player, maturity, uh, you know, grow into it type of a thing. Something though. Like the distribution of blame in Arizona has been an interesting thing to me. I think there was some speculation after the year that there could be coaching change or could people be imperiled. We just haven't seen that. Uh, We haven't even really seen a big reaction in in any way, right? Usually when you have a terrible loss, uh, Green Bay, you know, had to get the new special teams coach, right? There's usually something that gets, gets addressed, right? Right. The Chiefs lose the Super Bowl. They do their whole offensive line, right? There, there's some reaction. Uh, Goff isn't playing well. We're going to go get Stafford. And Arizona just seems a little bit caught in between to me where uh, you don't feel great about how Kingsbury's got him going, but their record's improved every year. His record's gotten better and better. You don't love everything about Murray, but he's clearly the best option you've got. Uh, you have some question marks. So I don't know sort of where that came from where it's going it doesn't feel like that's a place that's going to have big change the thing in the back of my mind is unlike russell wilson who is a really marginal baseball prospect he was a top 10 pick kyler murray so i think he really does have other options and if it gets real tough for him or he doesn't like it he's got that that's an interesting thing isn't it yeah, it really like, is. He I could mean, go make real money playing baseball, I believe. I don't I don't really know exactly how baseball works, but I think if you're a top 10 pick, he could make a lot of money, right? Yeah, I mean, we would need to get baseball players back on the field, and that's an issue. And, and yeah. one of the reasons with the lockout here is the way they treat minor leaguers, and I think it's a big, probably a big reason why you know he went to the NFL in addition to being the number one pick in the draft. Baseball has a problem. They hold these minor leaguers back as long as they can, their best prospects. So... Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, it'd be hard for him to just you know step away from baseball for three years and then step right back into it. But look, he's a he's a one of one type of athlete when you can be you know top ten pick in, in baseball and 
uh, number one pick in, in football. And boy, they got killed in that Monday night game. And you think about it, that was really the last bad po postseason game we got. They were awful that Monday night. That was the final game of Wild Card Weekend. Ever since then, we got you know four great divisional games, two conference title games, and a great Super Bowl. So that was really you know the kind of last bad playoff game we got. Yep, and and not only that, they were just they've been bad the second halves of the last two seasons, yes. and that's been the thing that Kingsbury and Kyler Murray have been questioned on. And so the things that you were hoping they would address this year are still the things. I, I don't know where they're at or where they go. Yeah, and, and even McCoy, they won two out of three with McCoy, so they weren't that bad with McCoy. Uh, we're talking with Mike Sando of the Athletic Football GM Podcast. Uh, a couple more and we'll get you out of here. Just the imbalance here between the NFC and the AFC. Does it cause the AFC? Now, the NFC's won the last two Super Bowls, so it's not too extreme. But uh, if you look at the young quarterbacks in the AFC, it's really just an, an impressive group. Then you got teams like the Patriots who, you know, they have a rookie quarterback. They won 10 playoff games. The Browns have a good roster. They were kind of the it team last year. Uh, you know, the Ravens, who didn't make the playoffs, they won 14 games a couple years ago. You go down the list. I mean, if Lawrence ever pops in Jacksonville, the AFC could be loaded here the next five, six years. Does that factor into any of the decision-making? Do the AFC teams have to be more aggressive in building their teams? Do the NFC teams become more aggressive because they see an opening? How do you view that whole situation? Yeah, I think it's a consideration. Like, uh, if you were one of these guys in the NFC, like Russell Wilson or Aaron Rodgers, and you had you know thought, some thoughts of being traded, do you really want to go to Denver and be in that division? I think that's a real uh, concern. Likewise, if I were one of those teams and trading a quarterback, and didn't want it to look bad for me, you know, you could trade him to someone somewhere in the AFC and say, "Good luck, buddy." You know, you're <laughs> you're going to have good years, but you're not going to really be winning a bunch of championships either. So, uh, I think those are just more secondary back of the mind things. I don't think they're going to drive decisions uh, necessarily, uh, but it is, it is interesting and notable. And we've seen this before, you know, you felt like the NFC dominated at times in the nineties and yeah. can swing back and forth. Uh, Brady. Now I have a hard time seeing, you know, him retiring. He's very image conscious. I have a hard time seeing him retiring. Then, you know, two months later, he's going to be playing for the Niners. I, I have a hard time seeing that. I know rumors are starting to pop up. Uh, where are you at with Brady? What chances would you give him that, you know, he, he comes back and actually plays next year? I don't see it happening. What do you think? I, I think the door's open. Uh, I, I really? believe that he uh, could be fine in retirement. Uh, I believe that if everything were perfect in his mind in Tampa, he'd probably still be playing there. So uh, whether that's a combination of what he thinks of the coaching or what he thinks of the roster or what he thinks of just the arc of the team, I think he decided he doesn't want to do that. He'd rather retire than do that. I don't think there's anything else out there on his list that, I mean, you talk, it's a career almost without any regrets, right? Other than I think he did want to play for the 49ers. And I think that he uh, would have liked to have gone there even a couple of years ago when he went to Tampa. So you got to remember his agent represents him and Garoppolo. Right. And Tommy, I think right? if he, I think Tom Brady easily could have said, I'm done, I'm done, I'm not looking back. When, when you say that, when you, when you open the door within a week to me, yeah, that is interesting. And then you throw on top of that, he'd said before he'd like to play at age 45 at one point. Yeah, there may be some comments about 50, but I think 45 was kind of that number. Well, that's next year. So I think if there could be a one-year situation in San Francisco where everyone knows it's a year, there's enough components there of him being from there, him wanting to have played for them, 
the 49ers are going to agree to trade Garoppolo. Uh, we know that. Uh, Brady's still playing great. And the agent Good roster, too. it would be very hard to uh, coordinate such a thing with all these moving parts. But having one agent over both of the quarterbacks uh, is different. When does that happen, right? You could actually you could actually put together something that worked for everybody and doesn't even doesn't even um, hurt you on Trey Lance because he could play the next year. You could still give you, do one more year of Trey Lance. Uh so I, I do think it's at least interesting enough um, to consider that it's possible. Is it likely? I mean, it's a lot of moving parts, but he played he played really well. I mean, it it's, it's unprecedented to do what he's done, but it's unprecedented to walk away when you arguably should have been the MVP. There hasn't really been a big decline in his play. Um, if he goes to the – if he could go to the 49ers on one year – shoot, they might be a Super Bowl favorite, right? That was the one thing. If they had Brady in the playoffs this last year, they'd probably win the Super Bowl, right? Yeah, I would think so. I mean, they just needed anything from Garoppolo. I'm sure, if I don't know if you watched the All-22 of them versus the Rams. Man, they had people running wide open. And then, you know, Shanahan got really conservative at the end from that second and one at the Rams 42. You know, he runs a couple bad plays, then he punts on fourth and short where, you know, you got play action there. You got Kittle, you got Samuel. You just need like a 15, 20-yard chunk. You're going to burn more clock. You're going to get more points. And you're probably going to the Super Bowl. So, yeah, I agree with you 100%. But, and, and by retiring, see, I think it's – if. It, I think if he does want to play for the 49ers or if there was any possibility, retiring is a really smart play because if you try to do this while you're on the roster, it gets really messy and then the Bucks might want to play hardball with you because there's a chance you'll play for them. When you announce your retirement, you're not really worth anything to the Bucks anymore. If you, you, You've sort of politely said, I'm not playing for you without saying... Yeah. Right. He didn't say I'm quitting the Bucks or I want out of the Bucks. He just said he said I'm retiring, but that means I'm not playing for the Bucks. So yeah, it, it does part of it. It, really it, it, it does because I, I do believe he cares about his legacy. He wouldn't want to kind of do the wrong thing. It would have to be presented as a wow. You know, here I was going to retire, but unbelievably, the 49ers are the one situation that I would consider, and it's wow, the planets are just going to align here amazing you know what i'll do this and right off into the sunset i said i wasn't going to do a, a victory lap year or a going away year but this is just too good to give up i just want to thank everybody for indulging me on this right so to me that's plausible is it likely i, I don't know but it's plausible Wow, you're kind of changing my mind because I, you know, I will agree that this retirement came out of nowhere. I remember the Friday before they played the Rams. I think it was Peter Schrager said, "Don't be surprised if he retires." Like he's not retiring. We haven't heard anything about him retiring. Well, Every indication, yeah, go ahead. Well, uh, so I'll tell you a little backstory. So uh, January 10th, I do I do a Monday column every week during the season, the Pick Six column on the Athletic. And January 10th, I was doing one on it was something like the 18 quarterback. Uh, situations that could change this year and as I was finishing that I actually started to call I frequently will call people around the league or that I know or uh, it could be front office people agents whatever and I'll run my list or thinking past them right just to get feedback or hey and I did that and a guy goes hey you might want to add Tampa Bay on there as a team it could be looking I said what he said not just protect yourself just put it in there there's I'm hearing enough 
that he's not entirely happy with everything that's going on there. The family thinks pulling at him. Um, you know, he, there's people around him, teammates and such that think it feels like he's going to retire. So I just added them to my thing and said, Hey, look, uh, not predicting a retirement here, but, uh, we're hearing, you know, that there could at least be the likelihood of him walking away could be a lot higher than people think. So that was the first that I heard it, um, was then. So, so if, if we're starting to hear it, then it was going on right before that, then, to me, that makes it more like it was less shocking. Wow. What do you think? Where's the tension? Is it him and Arians? I don't remember Arians was really hard on him that first year, that first couple months where, you know, he'd call him out in the press where, look, Belichick would be hard, but Belichick yeah. would never say, you know what, Brady needs to play better, that kind of thing. Where do you think the tension came from? I think that's just, that would be pure speculation, and I wouldn't want to do that to the individuals involved. He could yeah. love Bruce and have an issue with an uh, assistant. He could love the assistant or and just have a little thing with Bruce. But I would say, you know, that Bruce Arians, some of his charm and appeal is being a little bit seat of his pants and off the cuff. And I don't think that's really Brady. Now, it worked to win a Super Bowl, but is that a perfect match uh, for the long term? You know, maybe maybe Brady's just looking at it that way and saying, you know, we captured Lightning here that one year, but but I don't see a path forward that we're going to win uh, it all again. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, you could get I, I could just see the scenario. You get away from Belichick. And you're like, boy, this is great. We come to Tampa. We don't have to practice. We can do whatever we want. It's great. And then as time goes on, you're like, man, this sucks here. We can do whatever we want. So it kind of works both ways where, you know, you don't always like the structure, the rigidness of Belichick, but then you get away from it. And, you know, whether it's penalties, whether it's guys not doing this or that, and you kind of, you miss the, the structure and the rigidness. Yeah. And plus he won the Super Bowl right away. I think that was the right. thing. How could I go prove it aside from New England and, and Belichick? And he did right away. So what more is there to accomplish there? Right. He did it apart from him at the play, only place he could go that he felt great about. And now if he wins another one with Tampa, does that change anything? Does it help his legacy? What what potential things on his list, on his bucket list? What are the things on his bucket list? OK, winning championships being the greatest of all time. That's accomplished with New England. Proving you can do it outside of Belichick. Boom. Did it. Playing for the 49ers. Right. What other thing could you think of? that would be on his bucket list. Is there anything besides playing for the 49ers? No, I mean, it looks that's it. Like, and no I don't doubt. think it's a strong enough bucket list thing that he has to do it at all costs, damage your legacy, force your way out of Tampa. I don't think that's that, but I think retire. And then just, let's just see how, if this can happen organically could be part of it. Yeah. It's fascinating. should be a fun off season. Let's just do the, uh, the local teams here in New York and, and then we'll get you out of here. You've been very generous with your time. Uh, looks like the Giants, you know, I think they kind of got some adults in the room here with Dayball, with Shane. Looks like they're going in the right direction. Now, they've said that all the right things here about Daniel Jones. You know, we got to coach him better. Uh, we got to surround him better, which I think there's some truth to. But, you know, we mentioned Fromm and Glennon. That's about as bad a backup quarterback situation as you had. You're going to have to bring in, whether it's a Teddy Bridgewater, Tyrod Taylor type veteran, or you're going to have to draft, you know, even if you draft somebody in the second round, it's a tough spot because you're going to bring in some competition for him as much as you believe in him. Uh, give me your thoughts here on, on the direction of the Giants, what they do with Jones, where they look yeah. for uh, another quarterback here. I think they hired good people and some of the best people they could get. I do like the fact that uh, Joe Shane and Dayball have worked together. So, so immediately you have a fit, and that's kind of been an issue with the Giants, right, where they have, haven't had everybody on the same page at the same time. 
uh, you know, the Gettleman hire was not that he was at some great odds with the coaching staff, but he, he was always close to retirement or it just wasn't a, it wasn't a match made in heaven. Right. I feel like this is a really good match of the people. Um, I feel like uh, the, somebody who has helped develop a really athletic quarterback, Daniel Jones is a really athletic quarterback. He's not Josh Allen, but he's, he has a skill set, right? He has some kind of skill set. So you have somebody who hasn't shown an ability to do that. So I, I do like that. I mean, I think bigger picture structurally for the Giants, you know, that is a place where you do have to work around sort of the family infrastructure of, of their unique setup. And uh, we've seen in the past when you've had the right people in there, that's worked well. When, when you when you had Coughlin and Eli Manning and, and, and those guys uh, – and you have to give Jerry Reese some credit there too. They they had a pretty decent setup for a while, so there is hope that if you have the right people, um, you can have success there. And I think the coach and GM seem like good candidates. Daniel Jones, I mean, they may have just looked around and there wasn't a better alternative, or you, maybe the owner said hey, was looking for people who would stick with t Daniel Jones, right? I mean, we don't we don't know that. I don't feel amazing about having Daniel Jones be the quarterback, but who else are you going to go get? I think it is interesting from a, do you pick up the option and all of that um, with them where they're going to be? But um, what they've done so far is seems pretty logical. Yeah. I mean, any idea who they pick is a backup? I mean, because you need a strong backup. You can't do, I mean, that as mediocre as Jones is, I mean, they really, Jones looked like, you know, Mahomes when he got hurt compared to how the guys played behind him. Any idea who they pick up yeah, behind no, him, whether it's a. Yeah, not necessarily, but I, but that's not that hard to do. Right, yeah. you can you can get those guys if your team's willing to put a few million bucks more into it. You you can get one of those guys. I think you just want to make sure you don't have, like we said, the tier five. Right, the the guys who just can't you can't win a game with them. Right. I think with Teddy Bridgewater, if you play good defense and uh, uh, you can go four and four over an eight game stretch, right? Yeah, no, that's no, what I you think want the only for your backup for sure. The only thing with Bridgewater, you bring Bridgewater and he might be better than Jones, which creates kind yeah. of an awkward situation. Yeah, it could be, but I mean. If that's true, then then you know you don't have the right quarterback. Uh, I don't, I'm not all about going out of your way to make it look like your quarterback's good. I mean, he's going to have to play well. Either way, he has to play well. Yeah. Speaking of which, Zach Wilson not not exactly an encouraging first year with the Jets. I think Salah had a bad year. I mean, you come in as his defensive guru, you're basically last in the league in, in nine million categories on defense. You're in a tough division. Uh, what's the bright spot? What's the upside here for the Jets? You got some draft picks. Maybe Wilson can turn a corner. Where are you at here uh, with the Jets going forward? Yeah, it was tough, wasn't it? I mean, I think that the previous regime was so uh, downtrodden by the end that it just felt like it's going to automatically be a lot better to make a change. And it probably did feel better. It was fresh and different, but uh, just a tough year all the way around. I mean, shoot. They lost Greg. Losing Greg Knapp, I think, was a, obviously a tragedy, and then affected them. So, um, I think they're going to hope to have a little bit better uh, feel f for their staff probably this year. Um, that's a hard thing, you know. We, your first year staff isn't always the one you want, right? Anyway, uh, and then you have, you have a lot of first time, first time coach, first time quarterback. I think it was difficult. I don't. I don't necessarily feel uh, great about the situation there. I think what we found out is they need better players, too. So it's, I guess it is every bit the rebuilding. And anybody who thought that 
it was just Adam Gase was terrible and, and getting rid of him was going to fix it is proven wrong. Yeah, I mean, you could say all the right things with the Jets. Hey, we're going to build around Salah. We're going to build around Wilson. Look, if you go 4-13 and 13 again, you're going to start year three on the hot seat with Wilson, with Salah. I mean, these guys yeah. don't get to you know win three, four games forever. It's just how it goes. Uh, all right, final question. The, the draft, the quarterbacks, from what everyone says, you know, you've heard that there's not a legit starter, not a legit first rounder. Uh, you know, just talking to people throughout the league, how bad is it? Is there yeah. you know, somebody that can sneak up on people? What are your thoughts here on this uh, this upcoming quarterback class? Yeah, it's a little early for me because I usually start to get more familiar as we get closer to the combine and come in and out of the combine. Uh, it doesn't seem to be a class everyone's really excited about. That said, they always push up a few guys because need at the position trumps all of that, and you'll talk yourself into thinking someone's good. So, uh, you know, it's funny. When you talk to people in the NFL, they don't even – they go, yeah, you know, Pitt's pretty good. They just talk about the school name. It's pretty funny. But yeah. uh, that's kind of the one guy that uh, uh, probably heard about the most early on. And I think that we've got some quarterback needy teams, certainly right around, what, 9 and 11. If you kind of get in there where Denver is, where Pittsburgh is, you figure someone, there's not going to be, the quarterbacks at the top aren't going to get past there, I don't think. So I, I don't buy that it's going to be all second round or way at the bottom of the first. Someone will reach up there out of need and that'll be determined by who uh doesn't get something in free agency or trade yeah always uh always a dangerous philosophy say we you know we don't love this quarterback but we need a quarterback so we're gonna pick him. it doesn't usually seem to work out but uh i appreciate your time man thanks for coming on mike sando you could check his workout at the athletic the football gm podcast Pre appreciate you coming on hopefully we'll do it again soon thanks thanks a lot hey thank you all right, that was fun. I enjoyed that. Thank you to Mike Sando. Thank you guys for listening. Remember, rate, review, subscribe, retweet, anything you can do to help out the show. Uh, it doesn't go without notice. We appreciate you. Uh, anything you can do to kind of spread the word uh, really goes a long way in helping us out. So thank you guys for listening. We'll be back uh, probably tomorrow to talk you know, all things NBA. We'll keep an eye on this football situation. Really a, a weird, time, weird time of year where – you know, NFL's over, baseball hasn't started, and who knows when baseball will start. Not at the NBA playoffs, not at March Madness. We're in that weird stretch of time, but kind of gives you the freedom to talk about whatever you want, bounce around. So we'll do some different things over the next couple days, couple weeks. I look forward to it. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you to Bet River Sportsbook. This is the New York City cast. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts.